so it's not rocket science and we try to throw all this other stuff at it but it's also has to be a work of god i don't think you can educate people into wholeness i do think there's a lot to be learned and light bulbs can come on but ultimately if somebody is going to find true freedom and really understand their heart it's going to be because god opens their eyes to it You're listening to the Embrace What Matters podcast, bridging the things of eternity with everyday experience. Here's your host, John Mahalik. Welcome back. Today, we'll be following up the meditation from the last episode with an interview relating to the topic of spiritual growth and transformation. Some of our spiritual growth is up to us, but a great deal is up to God. Knowing the difference is sometimes our greatest challenge. So I'm thankful when we can hear from the wisdom and insight of someone like Kurt Campbell. Kurt Campbell is a burning flame. His energy for life feels limitless and his joy meter is on automatic. He loves God with all his heart, and his love for people has made an internal impact that will last generations. Kurt is the program director for a groundbreaking prison ministry in Nashville, Tennessee, called Men of Valor. It gets its name from the Bible, where David gathered a group of social outcasts, transforming them into his mighty Men of Valor. In the same way, this prison ministry has gathered many of the outcasts of our modern day, men who have lived lives of recurring addiction, abuse, and incarceration. Men of Valor more than just answers Jesus' call to visit those in prison. Inside its 93-bed aftercare campus called Valor Ridge, it offers these men a new lease on life, spiritually, emotionally, and in every practical way imaginable. Its track record has been nothing short of remarkable. The number of men who return to prison after completing their program is about 86% below the national average. And while the road to destruction is still found by many, those who succeed are laying a foundation for future generations to succeed too. Join me now for a conversation with someone who has spent over 17 years in the trenches of spiritual growth and transformation. Hear Kurt's story and his testimony. Hear the history of Men of Valor and how it's changing lives for the kingdom. Learn some of the how-tos and challenges of spiritual transformation. And find some encouragement on how you can help others achieve spiritual change too. Welcome, Kurt. I'm so glad you're on the podcast. Thank you, John. Good to be with you, man. Thanks for the invitation. So folk uh, disclosure at the top for our listeners, uh, I wanted to mention that uh, one reason I'm bringing Kurt on today is that he was my boss. Uh, I worked in prison ministry for several years and for a number of years in uh, Nashville for Men of Valor. And uh, 
So I just wanted to share that. That's part of the context of why we're having this uh, discussion today. So, uh, Kurt, uh, I want to start as I usually do with some some uh, thoughts on your what what has formed you, what has shaped you, uh, and our our theme, of course, this morning is is the topic of uh, spiritual transformation. So you were, am I right that you were born in Colorado? Is that right? I was, yeah. I only spent the first two years of my life there, but it's and, in my you, blood. It's in your blood. So you grew up in Texas, near yes. Dallas? That's right. I grew up in Denton, Texas. Uh, my dad taught at the University of North Texas there for 30 plus years. I went to school at Baylor. So What did he teach? He taught secondary education. Oh, neat. So I didn't... Taught, taught teachers how to become teachers, and he was oh, great at it. Well, that's great. Yeah. I can see that. So, And you... Um, so we're going to talk about Colorado in, in a minute, but so what was it like growing up in Texas? Well, first of all, I love Texas. I'm, I'm a through and through, you know, proud Texan as most are. Yeah. Uh, but, and I grew up in an unbelievable home. I mean, I, I really did. I'm one of the few blessed, I would say that, uh, a dad who was very, very involved. He coached every ball team I ever had. My mom, uh, loved the Lord and, we were in church every week. It's interesting because we were not at a Bible teaching church. My mom knew that. My dad yeah. did not. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. And uh, so we, my experience early on, I'd say all the way through graduating high school was that church was very religious for me. It was kind of mm -hmm. a social atmosphere. It was all I knew. Yeah. about the Christian faith. So until I actually experienced something different, I had no idea there was anything different out there. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And how, how large was your family? Uh, four. Uh, my mom and dad, and then I've got an older sister, two years old. An older sister. Mm -hmm. So uh, knowing you, I know you have a, a real strength for uh, creating community. Um, you're, you're a big uh, guy that's into music, you're into fun, uh, joy, laughter, games. Yeah. Did, did that kind of thing come from your family? Um, I think it did. My dad lives on a high. Oh, he really? just always has. He's a total optimist, total people person. It's funny, time to time, people say, man, you're." every time I see you, you're whistling. I don't even know I'm whistling. <laughs> but that was my dad. I mean, yeah. I remember him everywhere just whistling. He had a song in his heart. He was joyful. People loved being around him. So I probably did get a lot of that naturally and then both yeah. my parents were teachers and classrooms and you know motivators and that kind of stuff yeah so did you ever think of becoming a teacher or yourself uh more along the lines of coaching really okay. than teaching i think um i love to teach i don't know that i the thought of being confined to a classroom fired me up yeah i got too much adventure in me for that <laughs> So I want to I want to touch on that in a minute the the coaching side, sure. Um, but let's talk a little bit about Colorado. As, as we speak, you're getting ready to head on your oh my gosh, from less Colorado. than seventy two hours, man. Yeah. Oh boy, that's great. So uh, I I think I mentioned to you one of my uh, meditations and interviews recently has been on you know the just seeing God in nature and mm -hmm. and be able to worship and connect to God through nature. Uh, and Colorado is a pretty special place to do that. So um what what's the draw of colorado for you why do you keep going back oh man there's so much to that john yeah part of it i think i've learned through the years 
for me, just even reading the Bible more and more, is how often God met people on the mountain. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's over and over through Scripture. It's crazy. Mountains are big, yeah. They're big. And um, and that really has been my experience. It there's a there's a spiritual renewal that happens for me when I'm in the mountains. So I love that personally, but also, and let's see, I'm 54 years old. I've missed one year in 54 years of not just being in Colorado in the summer, but being there with my family. Mm. So it is entrenched in relationship, catching up being together you know there's no tv we don't have good phone service so it is it's by the river it's around the table it's playing games by the fire it's hiking together it is highly relational Mm -hmm. and i and i love it i thrive on it that's that's wonderful yeah um so back to the the sports angle you're you're a sports guy you're um so am I right that you were actually introduced to Carl Carlson in prison ministry because you were playing basketball inside jails or prisons? That's right. Yeah, it's funny. I was a sports director at a YMCA. Okay. Carl was one of my coaches. He was coaching his boys at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, he told me that he was fixing to start a prison ministry. And I'd been playing basketball with some good friends of mine against prison teams for the last five, six years. And so I just told him, man, we'll come volunteer with you, you know, if you get rolling. Uh, and and so that's how it happened. Carl and I became great friends, and a few years later, he asked me to come on staff. That was and that was been what seven. That was in two thousand five. So Men of Valor started in ninety seven. I yeah. started volunteering with them then, and then I came on staff in '05. That's amazing. That that was kind of the open door. Yeah. But 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 as far as formation goes, how has your experience uh, playing and coaching in sports? influence the way that you approach working with others to improve their lives? How has that played a part? Hmm. In coaching? I'll tell you, I, I'm going to, if you're good with it, John, I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to dodge that question and maybe come back to it. Okay. But I want to tell you what happened, like a brief version of my testimony. For sure. Because yeah. that's really where it, everything kind of launched for me. Um, and it does tie a little bit into sports because I I didn't know it growing up, but I developed very early on a root of pride in my life. Some of it was around sports because I was an accomplished athlete, even at a young age. Yeah. Just had some opportunities to excel that gave me a lot of notoriety in a small town. I was a good student. You know, my teachers loved me. I was involved in the youth group and a leader there and all this. So I was uh kind of stacking up these accomplishments and i i didn't feel prideful in my heart necessarily but i did kind of start looking around and playing a little bit of the comparison game and just feeling like i'm a pretty good guy you know (laughs) and it's it's even hard to talk about some of that now but i'm going to fast forward a little bit and just tell you what happened so this root of pride continued to develop and it was built around some good things like, you know, I was a virgin when I was 27. I, to this day, I've never tasted beer. I love a margarita, but I, I don't drink <laughs> beer. Um, I didn't cuss. I just, I was a good kid. You know, I've never yeah. always been drug free and I went into youth ministry and it was more of a modeling life philosophy for me than it was introducing kids to jesus it was like hey you can be 
alcohol and drug free and you can be a virgin and all this and mm. we can do it in the name of this god who loved us and created us there was a, it wasn't absent of god but it was really yeah. built around a lot of me what can i do that's right yeah. so this is where the transformation happened and this was this was monumental in my life uh, i was doing a bible study with a group of guys and we were started in genesis you mentioned you're doing a series on genesis right now and we're looking at the life of noah mm-hmm. and the word world's going to hell in a handbasket, right? And right. God says, I will not contend with man forever yep. because the only inclination of his heart is only evil all the time. And so he finds this one righteous guy, Noah, to save. And I'm looking, and I get it, right? As I'm reading and studying this, I'm thinking, God, I totally get it. You know, you're going to start over with this one guy. You're going to get rid of everybody else. And so ha- I've been playing this game of comparison, right? And mm. so in my heart, John, I'm thinking, I might not have been Noah, like, you know, the most righteous guy and blameless, but I'd have been on the boat. Yeah, sure. Okay. And so all the flood narrative happens and they come off the, came off the ark and Noah says, uh, he offers this pleasing sacrifice to God. And God says, never, never again will I flood the earth, even though every inclination of man's heart is only evil all the time. And my buddy who was doing the Bible study said, now, who's he talking about here? Who's God talking about? Mm. And I was dumbfounded. I was like, I'd have no idea because the only guy left is Noah and he's righteous. Mm-hmm. And he said, Kurt, no, he's talking about Noah. Mm. And he's talking about you. And he's talking about me. That the only inclination of our hearts is only evil all the time. And John, I mean, I can still feel it when I talk about it, how yeah. angry I was. <laughs> I was so angry and we had just studied Cain and Abel, right? And I just didn't get it then that Cain had brought this offering and God just wasn't pleased with the offering because it was all about Cain. Yeah. And that was the offering I had brought to God was it was all about Kurt and what I could do and provide and accomplish. And God was not pleased Mm. and I was so mad. So I went into this moral downward spiral because I really just kind of took on this attitude. Of, you know what? If the way I've lived my life doesn't matter to God, it doesn't set me apart hmm. any more than anybody else, then yeah. screw it, right? Yeah, right? I'll go do what I've wanted to do all my life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. that was the realization as I started down this trap. I was like, oh, my gosh, my heart really is inclined to evil. Mm. And I had never known it, and God opened my eyes. And so through that, I realized that I am who God's word says I am and that I actually do need God. And beyond all of that, John, I realized he doesn't love me because of all these things and all these accomplishments. Hmm. He just loves me. And it was the most freeing thing in the world. So that was my transformative moment, honestly, at age 27, that set my heart free. And it's been mm-hmm. free ever since. Now, I fight for freedom every day, right, yeah. like we all do. Yeah. There's the entrapments of people's opinions and your reputation, mm-hmm. all that madness. But I've been set free. And, and I think anybody that has experienced true freedom the greatest desire of your heart is to see other people experience it and walk in it. Mm. So that's been what's led me into coaching 
and teaching and being with other people is wanting them to have the freedom that God has given me. I identify with that, uh, but at the but I, I will say that when I was considering going in to the prisons or the jails to work with, you know, the incarcerated men, uh, my first uh, among many concerns, maybe I I had at first, I was what do I have in in common with these men, you know? Yeah. Um, so you you talk about some some fundamental theological things that you have in common, you know? Yeah. Yeah. pride sin but when you were going in to play basketball with these guys when you met carl carlson he said he was starting a prison ministry did you did you immediately make that bridge between that kind of almost maybe not conversion moment but epiphany that you had that you were no better than anybody else that you needed god just as much as anyone did you make that connection and say i'm i'm someone who who would work well speaking to men that are incarcerated who have a very different life story than I do different yeah, past. I really that- do. I, I think that was a big part of it. Yeah. John, I, I don't know what it would have been otherwise, other than just kind of the feeling like, you know, we're supposed to go share the good news. Sure. Um, but man, I really did identify with being in bondage. And it, though it looked very different in my life, it wasn't drugs or alcohol or even actual physical incarceration. Yeah, man, I I was in bondage big time to performance and opinions, uh, not just God's but other people's, and it was yeah. it was awful, man. Because you can't ever live up to that. I mean, you know, right. Right. <laughs> you know what's going on in your own heart and your mind, right? Right, and so you're looking in the mirror every day, going. Jeez, I'm a champ, you know. I got everybody else fooled, I think. But yeah, well, we're gonna we're gonna jump into the some of the depths of of this th- what you've been talking about spiritual transformation. But let's let's start first by giving the kind of give us a summary of of the prison ministry, Men of Valor. It's, it's based in Nashville, Tennessee. Yeah. Um, so just give us a, a nugget, uh, a brief history about Carl Carlson and how the ministry began, where it's gone, where it is today. Okay. Give give us a sense of that. Yeah. So you really do have to start at the beginning with Carl because he is kind of the poster child for lack of a better word for the, a lot of the incarcerated. Yeah. Because when you hear their stories, you're not surprised they ended up where they ended up. And, Carl was left on a doorstep when he was a young child, never knew his parents. He grew up in orphanages, state homes, foster homes, uh, abused at early ages, you know, started doing time literally when he was 10 years old. I mean, just Mm. a life of madness and sadness and uh, discovered drugs in Vietnam and came back and got convicted of an armed robbery and was serving a 15-year sentence here in Nashville. And uh, his brother, Philip, came out to see him one time and told him about Jesus. And I think what's interesting about that is Philip had grown up the same way Carl did. Mm. And it had been very absent of anything good, holy, God, you know. And so Carl said to his brother, he said, Philip, you see them walls back there? There's a lot going on in there, but God is one of them. Mm. 
But Carl always said Philip planted a seed. And through a series of circumstances, uh, Carl fell to his knees in, in a prison cell mm. uh, not too many months after that and cried out to God, and God met him right where he was. So that was the beginning, really. That was in the 1970s yeah. of what would eventually become Men of Valor. So when God led him back into prisons um, in, I guess, the early 90s, even prior to starting Men of Valor, he was just going into mentor guys. Uh, he understood the plight, the desperation, and wanted to go in and encourage guys and give them hope. Basically, be a Philip, yeah, to other guys, right? What his yeah. brother had done for him, tell them yeah. about Jesus. And so, what happened is more and more guys saw him coming in, wanted to meet with him, and so he started recruiting some volunteers to help meet with guys. And one thing led to another, you know, and then a valor was birthed. Um, what's happened through the years, what started out largely as a prison ministry, which was what you and I were serving in together, yeah. has really morphed into more of a re-entry program. So it all starts in the prison for us still. We, we go in every day of the week and we're yeah. meeting with guys and building relationships and obviously being evangelistic in that. But we're inviting guys into a uh, ongoing relationship, even after they get out, to say if explain if, that change because th yeah. that shift and focus. Mm -hmm. Because most people think of prison ministry, they think of just going into the prisons, right? So, so your again, your shift has been you know you 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 meet guys in the prisons now, but you don't spend a lot, whole lot of time, and yeah. the bulk of their, your your contact with them is on the outside. Why is right. that? Well, uh, the the easiest answer is to say we realized where the biggest need really is yeah if there's going to be what we're talking about true life transformation because guys i saw and i'm sure you would say that too john we saw a lot of guys who we believe came into a genuine relationship with jesus christ sure. while they were incarcerated right. uh, and but after getting out, it's not that their relationship with Jesus went away, but there's not a lot of people who have the fortitude to be rejected over and over and over and over and over again, stay the course, or to go back into a toxic environment that in many cases led them to prison and just live this new life, right? right. Hey, I've got Jesus. That's all good. Right. When everything around you is drug use and breaking the law and anger and abuse and just madness. I mean, yeah. it's just so what we realized is the prison piece is very important. But if we don't provide a safe, structured environment that has a sense of community and accountability for guys who have started this new life, yeah. they're going to go right back right. Uh, to it. And not, not really any fault of their own. It just, it is what it is. It's kind of the natural course of, of reentry. So we got a very broken system in that sense, but we wanted to try and make a difference. So we uh, started focusing really heavily on reentry. 
and that looked like initially just kind of a halfway house where we had beds for eight to ten guys and we mm-hmm. would disciple them help them find employment get their identification all the things necessary to to succeed you know on the outside and then but we knew the need was great so we since then uh, let's say in 2018 we opened this campus just outside of nashville called valor ridge and it has beds for 93 guys wow and it is we call it a discipleship academy <laughs> but true. it's kind of it's a one-stop shop for re-entry mm-hmm. and um, so it's all the practical stuff and it's the uh, employment and money management and reconciling with family and recovery and addiction and all that kind of thing but it's also the the relational piece of counseling addressing a lot of the trauma that that led to mm-hmm. a life of addiction or incarceration um, it's connecting guys with people who are going to be a great support system so just mentors who can be life coaches and good friends it's connecting them with a local church where they can get plugged in not just to be ministered to but they can start giving back and uh, offering what they have to offer to the body of Christ, which is a lot. Uh, these guys we deal with have such unbelievable experiences and education, very different than your and my education. Yeah. But, you know, as you know, none of us are exempt from pain and anger and all those things. So uh, anyway, it's, it's been really fun. It's, it's not a p- silver bullet by any stretch. It's uh, the enemy well, it's a, is not. Go ahead. There are different, uh, plenty of different prison ministries around the country and elsewhere. But uh, again, another uh, typical assumption about prison ministries: you're going in to get men saved. Mm-hmm. And and while I'm I'm sure uh, conversion is is a focus, you do take this this more of this long haul approach to conversion and discipleship. Um, do you, do you ever get any pushback that you're focusing more on just, I mean, maybe someone looking from the outside might say this is less spiritual than practical. Um, do you, do, do, do people mm. ever push you back on that, that you're not focused so much on salvation as, as it's getting these guys right? Yeah, that's a good question, John. I, I think honestly, most of the people who have been around men of valor for any length of time at all know yeah. that we are so gospel centric like right. nobody's going to come through men of valor and not hear the gospel mm-hmm. or be immersed in god's word and god's love like that yeah. just is it's who we are right um and i i say to people all the time you know we're measured in many ways by what the world sees as success lower yeah. recidivism rates mm-hmm. uh you know attaining higher education average wage income that kind of thing it's like all that's fine but that's not why we do what we do it we 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 really do feel like we're snatching guys out of the hell i mean yeah literally and so even this year i've had two or three what i would consider to be close friends you know one at dan blankenship i think you knew dan when Uh you were here Mm -hmm. 
who uh, after six years of sobriety, and this was a guy who was fully engaged in the recovery community. I mean, he was a rock star in Nashville in the world of recovery. Hmm. And he slipped into depression. He used and OD'd after six years. Oh, now, is Dan a men of valor success or a failure? <laughs> yeah. Right? You tell me. In yeah. my mind, I have zero doubts that Dan is with Jesus. He has been truly set free for the first time in his life. Yeah. And had all we done was offer the practical stuff to Dan, like help him get a job and get clean and learn how to manage his finances. So what? Yeah. Right. In the grand scheme of things, who cares? So we are highly evangelistic, but we also want to help guys have the practical skills that it takes to, to live in this world and to flourish and to pass something on to their children that, uh, is not only eternal, but it's, it enriches their life moment by moment well and i don't i don't i also don't think that his end necessarily uh gives us less value for the fruit that he bore oh, until that time amen that John. the spiritual fruit was still real absolutely and, and, and like you said the legacies that he probably laid were, were still real that's right um there's a there's a, a malty badcock was a guy that wrote uh this is my father's world hmm. you know that hymn Yo, one of my yeah. favorite hymns that points yep. points to God in nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, apparently, he committed suicide. That, mm-hmm. That's how his life ended. Yeah, and I don't know his full story. There's actually a biography coming out about him. But mm-hmm. but you just we you know any kind of tragedy like that, we always ask why and try to find a reason. Yeah. And some of the best reason I I can come up with when my in my limited perspective is that we're in a spiritual war and there are oh, ca- yeah. there are innocent casualties of warfare. Yeah, and and so why someone relapses and after having so much victory in their life why someone commits suicide you know we're, we're never going to know exactly why but that doesn't mean we don't get up back up and start working with others to oh that's right to to get back in the trenches and see what god can do because man uh, that's a great point john because if you took any guy that's living at valor ridge right now and yeah. told me that the next six years of their life would mimic dan's life mm-hmm. and then they would die of an overdose I right. would take it every day of the week <laughs> yeah, because exactly. he lived a life of impact and influence for the kingdom. Yeah. Uh, he lived victoriously in many ways. And then he, he's gone. You There's, know, so. I had a pastor, Thomas McKenzie in, in Nashville that had amazing fruit in his life. And I believe last year was, was hit in an automobile accident with his daughter and was, was killed. You just, mm. we don't know. We That's don't know right. what, the number of our days is so yeah. so i don't think we i don't think we need to get hung, so hung up about that what do we do with right now that's right how do how do we focus on that but you talked about relationship and um this being a relational ministry um one of the things i remember about our, our offices when we both had offices inside the prison when i was there and your office was really pretty interesting because you had you had a far a wall that was facing your desk it was absolutely covered with photos of men that had, had gone through the program. Hmm. And so what are, what are some memories that come to mind of, of the different guys that 
I mean, I know, I'm sure you have a different experience now working more, more on the outside, but at least but let's, let's say both inside and outside. What are some memories that you have that come to mind with some of these guys that have crossed your paths and uh, share a little bit about that? Man. So one, as a good guy, you know, John, and uh, I think about him often because he was a guy that came through our program, I think the first time, maybe in 2006, was in what we called the Jericho Project, was a faith-based unit there in a prison. Right. And I loved him. His name was Anthony Charles. We call him AC. Yeah. And I loved him. And he was a military, former military guy, high discipline. He had just really struggled with drugs and alcohol yeah. uh, for a for a significant portion of his life. And he was a, he was an all-star in the program. Let's just put, if you were going to put an all-star team together out of the guys that were in our program, he was it. Yeah. And he went through the first time, got out and within a few months relapsed and was back in. Hmm went through the program again. And we were great friends during this time. I remember, and he was one of the pictures on my wall. And I used to say to him, dude, we're going to grow old together. We're going to be rocking, rocking chairs together. Cause I just thought that way of him. Second time through the one year program, um, like within a week of he disappeared. And I mean, this, this is a guy who had my cell phone number. We were good friends, disappeared, gone. Hmm. Next time I see him, He's back in prison. Hmm. Same deal. Third time through, God got a hold of his life. And he's been on staff with us now for almost a decade. We're opening our first reentry campus outside of Nashville. It's in Knoxville, Tennessee. And he's right. the guy who's heading it up. Wow, that's great. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. So I think about guys like that when I picture that wall of and, and we've talked a lot before about you never know who the next Carl Carlson's going to be. Right. And one guy, I don't know what his brother Phillip's done with his life, but his faithfulness to share the truth with his brother has yeah. changed thousands of lives. So yeah. you got to give Phillip some credit for that. Now, I don't know what's going to happen through AC's life or any of those other guys' lives that are on the wall. But I've said for years, God has called me here to love you and to tell you the truth. Mm. And whether you come through this prison program once, twice, three times, or 15, that's what he's called me to do. Mm. I'm going to love you and tell you the truth. And uh, sometimes we get to see some fruit, and AC is one of those guys that for sure. That is, And then another one, just real quick. So yep. one of the very first guys that came through in 2005 when we started was a guy named Lee Mitchell. Mm -hmm. And we were doing a lot of family ministry then. I have not seen Lee in probably 13, 14 years. We've talked on the phone a handful of times, you know, maybe once every three or four years he'll call because I've had the same number forever. And two weeks ago, John this young man in his early mid twenties comes into our office over here, just grinning like a light bulb, you know, yeah. and, and looks at me like you should know who I am. And I said, you have to tell me your name. And he told me, and it was Lee Mitchell's son. Wow. 
who is full of life and is doing well. And he came by here just to say hi. Hmm. And it's like his dad was in prison, what, almost 20 years ago, which gave us the opportunity to love his family and his boys and to exemplify true manhood for them, what it looks like to have a relationship with Jesus. And this kid looks us up out of the blue to come by and share that we've had an impact in his life. That's Hmm. crazy. You know, yeah, and there's hundreds of those stories. That's sure. That's what's fun about it. Um, and you never know. I mean, he could have never come by here, and I may have never known, but that wouldn't change the impact that was made just because I don't know it. Yeah. So I don't know. I always just thank God I have an opportunity to be a part of what he's doing. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. So again, that I'm assuming that people, some of the people listening, are looking at. Uh, the incarcerated or uh, prison ministry from the outside. And, and so, you know, the headlines or just the stereotypes are these guys deserve what they they've earned. They're, they're, hmm. they're not worth our time. Um, certain, and, and certainly where I think we're focused on their behavior and, yeah. and, and there, and we, you and I know that their behavior is certainly a key component in, is into why they keep returning to, to, to jail or prison. But you talked about getting into, you know, sort of the the cause rather than the symptom, and 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 we we know, you know, from a Christian standpoint, the cause is fundamentally spiritual. But you you use the word maybe I think heart issues. Mm-hmm. So talk a little bit more. You know, what what specifically? How do you specifically get into the heart issues of what has driven a man to do what he does, mm-hmm. be the way he's been, that kind of thing? Yeah. So I'm going to come back to that because there, to me, there's really two reasons that prison ministry is a no-brainer, even yeah. though these guys have created incredible victims. Yeah. One is that you know most of us tend to think when we see a guy get caught for something, a drug bust or rape or murder or whatever, uh, and he goes to he gets arrested and goes to prison. Yeah, we kind of check this mental box like hallelujah. We don't have to worry about that guy anymore. Right. That's not true. Mm-hmm. 98%, 98% of the 2.6 million Americans who are incarcerated are coming out. Mm-hmm. They don't have life sentences. Yeah. And prisons are not rehabilitative places. I can tell you right now, they are evil places. Yeah. And people, guys do not come out better than they went in, I promise, unless there's some kind of effective intervention happening, which is what Men of Valor is trying to do. So it's like if if the church does not engage with prisons while we have this window of opportunity to impact a guy's life and help him become something different, yeah, we can't check that box and think it's never going to happen again. That's that's ridiculous. So that's one reason we do it, right? It's yeah. just for the good of society and for our own safety. Right. Um, but the second piece is this, what you're alluding to. And if you heard the stories and it's across the board, very similar to Carl's that we talked about earlier, where these young men were, sexually abused, physically abused at early ages, saw their mamas beaten, Mm. 
uh, in, in other words, just, and we learn, we're learning more and more about trauma as the years go by and how it actually really does affect the brain yeah. and the way somebody processes information, what they do in those fear or flight, flight or fight, you know, mentalities. And, and so when we talk about getting to the root of the issues, we're trying to help men understand their story. Like many of them have just never dealt with it. It's just kind of in this locked closet, Yeah. but it's there yeah. and it affects so much of their lives and what they're doing. We're trying in this atmosphere of love and support and community to encourage them let's let's go into that closet hmm. as dark and as scary and as painful as it is number one you're not alone pretty much hmm. every guy who lives up here has dealt with what you're dealing with in some form or fashion yeah. it is the enemy's part of his arsenal to keep you locked up not just in prison, but in your spirit, you know, or, mm. and, and so how do we, how do we walk through that? Uh, find whatever self forgiveness is necessary, whatever forgiveness we can offer to others, um, to trust God and his sovereignty over all things, even evil things. Yeah. And just trying to be there to just hold a guy and let him cry and say, that really sucks. Mm. And I'm sorry. I'm just sorry that happened to you. Yeah. But it, though it influenced your life, it does not have to define the rest of your life. And you don't have to live out of that pain. Hmm. And yeah. that's a long process, John. That doesn't happen, right. as you know, in a week or four weeks or a year. Yeah. It's a lifelong for many of us. Yeah. And so that's why this idea of relational discipleship is so key that mm -hmm. we can get a guy, a mentor, who will just listen and love him, pray for him, yeah. be there on the hard days. Uh, we all need people like that in our lives. We do. Yeah. We do. So one of the reasons I wanted to speak with you is, you know, one of the, I mentioned in my podcast, one of my themes is bridging the things of eternity with everyday experience. Yeah. And I love that, by the way. That's cool. And so I think this ministry does this in, in a great way. And that, and that we have different extremes, I think of spirituality, Christianity, people that uh, are very have a very much of a fortress mentality. It's it's the church. You only know church people. You just stay inside your church community. You don't really have a lot any intimate relationships outside that. Uh, and then you have other extremes where people are very secular with their spirituality. They 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 call themselves Christians, but they're they pretty much define and live in a way that is purely secular. You know, I think God wants us to redeem the secular world. He wants us to redeem the world that's around us. And so you're, you're talking about issues that aren't necessarily, you know, chapter and verse. They're, I think they're, I think they're absolutely in principle. They're, they're related to what God says in the Bible, but they're, you're using many secular means like psychology and 
and trauma care and recovery. Um, you know, and so, and for those who don't know, a lot of these, these incarcerated men are there, they're there for a lot of reasons, but a lot of it is uh, drug related addiction related. Yeah. And uh, so talk about a little bit about how you approach specifically the, the issues of, of chemical addiction, uh, maybe sexual addiction. Um, a lot of people who want recovery would go to somewhere, they'd go somewhere like AA or NA, uh, which I think you guys maybe still utilize. So how, how is it similar and maybe different from, from a traditional repo, uh, recovery program? Well, I think for us, if, if you just totally boiled it down, is the the issue of the heart like kind of what I talked about in my own story? Yeah, is that our hearts are naturally disinclined toward God, toward authority. I mean, who wants to be told what to do? Right. Raise your hand if you want somebody <laughs> to tell you what to do. Yeah. And and <clears throat> and so when we can kind of come into that recognition of the depravity and realize that even though God knows that's the way I am, he pursues me with such, you know, incredible love and reckless abandon to quote the song. It's like, a recognition of my own heart and sin and depravity and then seeing that in light of a God who loves me anyway to the point of the ultimate gift of his son. Uh, That's really it. I mean, that's, that's the whole of the gospel. Right. And it really does impact every area we're talking about, whether it's abuse or addiction. So it's not rocket science, and we try to throw all this other stuff at it, but it also has to be a work of God. Yeah. I just, I don't think you can educate people into wholeness. I do think there's a lot to be learned and light bulbs can come on. But ultimately, if somebody is going to find true freedom and really understand their heart, it's going to be because God opens their eyes to it. Mm-hmm. I'm not answering your question very well. You are. No, what I want to say, John, is we are terrible at addressing addiction. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. we see, I'm laughing, but it's, it's, you laugh or cry. It's, I yeah. mean, we see relapses every sure. week, even sure. at Valor Ridge in this community of, you know, support. Fairly safe place, yeah. A safe place, man, yeah. where you don't have to do that here. Yeah. And guys still do it. So, but again, it's people who are still in that chasm of not, fully understanding or 
like I prayed all weekend, God, I believe, help my unbelief, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Catch me on a day when my unbelief outweighs my belief, and I'm capable of a lot of stuff, Yeah, including overdose or whatever else. Drugs isn't my thing, but yeah. my, my point is it is a daily battle that it's just it's not going away, bro. Until Jesus comes back. But it doesn't mean we just sit back and watch the carnage. No. Because God has given us tools to fight and yeah. the all of the armor yeah. well, of God of those, and the angelic realm. Great, one of those great quotes I heard what I repeat is I'd rather light a candle than curse the darkness. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's, that's, that's right. our choice. That's we right. have to make that choice every day. And yeah. The darkness outside, the darkness inside. Yeah. Yeah. And it's easy. And it's one of the things that can send us down the wrong path so much. Our attitude, our focus. Mm -hmm. Where where is our focus? So let's broaden this a little bit. We've kind of been doing this anyway, but let's broaden this beyond maybe men of valor. But uh, you can bring up different examples as as they come to you. Um, I I saw that you once said, uh, if everybody was in plain clothes inside of a prison, you wouldn't know who the inmates were that we are all essentially the same. So what this says to me is that many of the principles that you guys offer to these men and their families are applicable to all of us in our journey towards spiritual growth and transformation. So what are some things, you know, other than what you've already mentioned, what are some things that you teach these guys that, that everybody, you know, can learn from no matter where they're, what their background is. I'll tell you, I, I, I got your question. I'm going to come back to it, but I'll okay. tell you something that I've wanted to do for yeah. years. So we have a big annual fundraising breakfast in Nashville. Right. And I've wanted to snag about 10 people out of the 14 to 1600 that come to that and just say, hey, before you walk into the breakfast this morning, do you mind putting this on and give them a prison uniform? Yeah. The cool. orange shoes. Yeah the Davidson County Sheriff's Department logo on the back of the khaki uniform and have them go in and have breakfast. Mm. And what, how would that change your experience of sitting there in a room in a uniform where people are looking at you and making up all kinds of their stories? Like they don't even know you and they're scared of you. Sure. You know, it's crazy. But to your point of our uniform, it it defines us in the world's eyes, but not in God's eyes. Yeah. And so that's one thing I would say to everybody is that, you know, I can wear a shirt that says Men of Valor staff that makes me look really good in Nashville because people know men of valor and they think oh that guy's a stud he works for men of valor right that doesn't impress god yeah you know the guy that's putting the robe on behind the and hammering the gavel down god doesn't see him any different than the guy who he has the ability to set free or condemn Hmm. and yet we find our identity so many times in the things that we wear Hmm. uh or the roles that we play, the guy that gets up in the pulpit Sunday morning, you think he's, he probably sees himself differently. Yeah. <clears throat> but God doesn't see me differently. 
And that's so hard for us to wrap our minds around that we all stand naked before a God who sees our hearts. And if we could live in that, not just for ourselves, but how we approach and interact with other people, it'd be a game changer, man. Yeah. But we're too prideful for that. So I don't have my hopes, myself included. <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, John, in terms of what I feel like, and this ties with that, what, what I feel like is the, if I, if there's one message, um, in addition to, although it's not really in addition to the gospel, it, it fits it wholly. This concept of freedom to me mm-hmm. is so big because so few people are living in freedom. Isn't that, and, isn't that your life verse? It is Galatians 5 1. That's how I was going to say Galatians 5 1. This is crazy. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Mm-hmm. So do not be bound again by a yoke of slavery. And so if we're not living free, we're not living in the very thing that Jesus came to give us, which is freedom. And like I said, I fight for that every day because I still live in this world and it's not a free world because I am judged good or bad based on the logo of my shirt or my position in life, or what kind of car I drive, or what kind of house I live in, or even my zip code. All those things, right, create bondage if I allow it to. But we don't have to, because it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And that sounds so like, you know, Pollyanna, carefree. How do you really go through life like that? But I've had glimpses of it. I have glimpses of it every day where I am so free in my spirit to just be and to love and to live in the moment and to see things in light of eternity and not, (laughs) you know. Well, most people look at freedom, I think. Uh, You know, certainly a guy that a man or a woman who's behind bars looks at freedom as the ability to get outside and live the life the way I want to. Yeah. Uh, we see freedom talked about in the news and everybody wants freedom. Uh, so how do, how does our view of freedom, meaning maybe my, my uh, ability to choose my own life, how does that idea of freedom differ, differ from what you're talking about? God's idea of freedom. So our concept of freedom is not really freedom. Okay. We think it is. It's it's a it's a lie. Uh, I use the illustration sometimes with guys to say, uh, for any of them that have had dogs, you know, mm-hmm. and how do you best care for your dog? Mm-hmm. What kind of freedom do you give your dog? And most of us who love our animals, our dogs, are going to put up a fence. Not because we don't love them, because we love them. Mm-hmm. Because we know that if they stay inside that fence, they are going to get fed and watered every single day. 
They're going to be well taken care of. There's going to be a place very quickly where they can get out of any any harm's way if they need to. It nothing can get to them through that fence. Mm-hmm. This is safety, and you know what, bro? You got a quarter of an acre or a half acre, whatever you're blessed to have. You've got it all, like God, like God did in the garden. Yeah. You have freedom. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, right? Our idea of freedom is zero limitations, feed all the desires of the flesh, but is that really freedom? Right. Well, the dog has his face up against the fence, doesn't he? He's, he's, yes, he he's, does. He's looking at his limitations. If and I could just go chase that cat or that that's car. Right. That's right. And what happens? Yeah. When that, you know, it's yeah. what appears to be life is not life. And so the the real freedom to have the life that God intended for us is to live according to his word, which sounds limiting, but it's not. It is unbelievably freeing. And any limits that we are given are given for our protection. Yeah. If I'm not having sex outside of marriage, I'm not getting a venereal disease. I'm not going to have a child out of wedlock. It's going to cost me 18 years plus of my finances, right? Yeah, or the right. consideration of an abortion or what it's like. Right. So that anyway, I could go on and on, but yeah, <clears throat> sure. Well, it's an important picture to look at because yeah. I mean, at, at the very least, it shows us that our perspective isn't God's. That's right. That, and, and that we need to go to God in his word and God's community to, 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 to renew that perspective in our minds of how to live well and how to, how to transform, how to change. So in my spiritual meditation on this, I'm, I've talked about uh, trans, spiritual transformation as a type of miracle. And, and I, I hearken back to the, to the story of the prodigal son. When the, and the father, you know, he, the, the prodigal son realizes his, his, his choices are, are not <laughs> sending him down the right path. He returns to his father, asks for his forgiveness and, and the way his father restores him, one of the ways he says, he says, my son was dead and now he's alive. And do you think that, you know, Jesus was just kind of using that as a loose metaphor? Or do you think there is some element of the miraculous in our spiritual change? And could we even look at it as a, as a type of resurrection? Well, I totally think it's resurrection. And I do think it's miraculous, John. Yeah. We cannot do it on ourselves. As a matter of fact, I, somebody, this always stuck with me. Somebody said, like, we were like drowning and God threw us a life vest. Yeah. That's not the picture in scripture. The yeah. picture in scripture is that we were dead on the we floor dead. of the sea. Yeah. And God brought us back to life. <clears throat> and I really, I really do believe that. outside of God doing the miraculous in our lives, uh, we'll die separated from him. Hmm. Yeah. So what role does surrender play? And we talked a little bit about that. What, what is, what, so God is the, the first cause. He's the initiator of the miracle, but we play a part, you know? So what role does surrender play in, in that miracle? I mean, because we live in a culture that says that surrender is is admitting defeat, that that to surrender 
to somebody or something, that means you're going to be oppressed. You're going to be taken advantage of. Mm. So, so what do you tell people? How do you, how can I trust that God or God's people aren't going to run me over if I surrender to God? Yeah. What do you tell people? Well, I wouldn't put a lot of stake in God's people. <laughs> let's start. There. Let's let's say let's say God's people, and then let's talk about God. Right. Let's talk about God. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> so, but that's where I would go with it, John. Is you'd be a fool to surrender to somebody whose heart you did not know. Yeah. I mean, you really would. Yeah. But. If you know the heart of one who has never changed, who has loved you from before the foundations mm. and will love you for eternity, who works all things together for good for those who love. And I mean, we could go on and on in scripture. Yeah. <clears throat> if you know the heart of God towards you, and that's a big part of our role here at Men of Valor, what I'm trying to do with people is to help them see who God really is and his heart toward them. Mm. Because if you believe that, surrender is not easy, yeah. but it is easier. Mm. And, it, and I think it can become easy. And I think the that's why a lot of times with people who have been walking with the Lord for a long time, you don't see them stressing out. You don't see them as anxious. They've seen the hand of God in their lives for decades. Mm. And it's like, you know what? I know who God is and I know his heart toward me. And if I could script this, I might have it turn out this way, but I trust him to script it. And so when you when you have that confidence in God and who he is and his heart towards you, surrender is it's the natural response. Yeah. You know? And I still pray for that, man. God show me <clears throat> a greater give me a greater confidence in your heart. I have a I have a deep faith. I mean, I I've I do feel like I know the character of God to the point where I trust him completely. Yeah. And then I would add almost. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because there are days and times when I still just want to challenge him. And I, I think, no, this is the way it should go. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those paradoxes. I think one of those, those tensions that we live in because we live in a very can do culture, our Western mentality, capitalism is, Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. However, the foundation for our change has to be surrender, has to be this miracle that God, you know, he, he raises us from the dead, so to speak. So how do we balance relying on God's grace to change us, and, and but also discipline our lives to do the right thing? How do we balance that, what, what we're supposed to do and what God's supposed to do? Man, I mean, the word that immediately comes to mind is just, be obedient to the things that we are called to be obedient to in God's word. Yeah. And then trust God and everything else. We, we know, we know our actions come with consequences, good or bad, right? That's clear yeah. in scripture. 
Right. Uh, blessing follows obedience. Curses follow disobedience. So my part is obeying. And everything else is up to God. Yeah. The way the way it plays out. And the the amazing thing, back to our previous point, is even when things don't play out the way I would script it or the way I think they should, mm-hmm. if I'm trusting God's heart toward me and I'm seeing things in the eternal perspective, not just the temporary perspective, yeah. I trust him. And and it's like, you know, we, we all have those things in our lives. My son and his wife are going through the adoption process right now. Mm. Decent chance they'll adopt a child who uh, had has come out of an addictive pregnancy, right? A mother mm-hmm. who's used drugs. Yeah. What's that going to look like? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, my wife had a sister removed last week that, you know, may or may not be malignant. What's that going to look like? I don't know. Yeah. And I can't control any of it, but I serve and love a God who is fully capable, uh, is anything too hard for the Lord, right? Right. According to scripture, is God's arm too short? Yeah. No, and he's, he's perfect in all his ways. So we just, we obey and we trust God's heart. We trust in his character and his love. Yeah. Um, so this, again, most of us look at, at Christianity as believing in God, what's much of what you were just talking about. But my experience, for instance, with prison ministry is we don't tend to believe in God until God or through God's people, we see that God believes in us. And so what, what role would you say believing in, you know, somebody believing in me or you believing in somebody else? What, what role does that kind of belief and almost spiritual optimism play in, in our spiritual transformation? Oh, man. I think it would be a rare human to be able to find somebody who could not look back on a relationship that propelled them forward just because of a word of encouragement, affirmation, or belief for all of us. There are those people or that person in our life who spoke life to us the power of life and death is in the tongue Hmm. and we all carry that in us and so my gosh if 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 you have the opportunity to speak life into somebody god's love into somebody affirmation of their uh being made in the image of god yeah and loved by him and we don't do that, man, we are missing one of the greatest opportunities we have. The beauty of that is it's not necessarily being well-versed and presenting the gospel or being an evangelist or winning somebody to Christ. It just is speaking love and the affirmation of God's word and his truth into people's lives, just Hmm. telling them the reality of who you are. Yeah. That's amazing. And who you can be. And who you can be. That's right. Well, let's kind of head towards the home stretch here and 
transition a little bit into, you know, I wanted to share this so that others can kind of think deeply on, on spiritual transformation. But you and I would probably testify that one of the best things I've ever done for my own spiritual transformation is to focus on the transformation of others. And so, so one of the, uh, one of the key components of men of valor is your, as you mentioned earlier, your mentorship program where you have a guy come along, someone come alongside someone one-on-one. These are regular people. They're not necessarily trained at all in ministry and they just show up and they, and they're present with these men and have, have a relationship. So, so talk about the mentorship program a little bit, just so, so maybe give someone a spark for maybe what they could do to, to enter into not just the incarcerated or an ex-offender, but anyone. Yeah. So what do your participants say about the mentors and, and, and what are the men, how do the mentors respond after spending some time with these men? Yeah. Well, I would say <clears throat> most of the guys who come to us for mentor, we recruit, we have to recruit mentors. Sure. Very few of us see ourselves as mentors, Yeah, you know, and kind of like this, we, we tend to kind of put mentors up on a pedestal or something. And, and that's not really it. It, it's just a willingness to come alongside somebody, yeah. uh, to do life with them, honestly, to love them and pray for them. And man, I, some, some programs will call mentors champions. And I love that term, you know, yeah. to have somebody who is championing you and championing yeah. your cause and yeah. your dreams and your hopes. Mm-hmm. I mean, who doesn't, need that first and foremost and then who doesn't want it yeah and, anyone and I mean, that's yeah, right anybody. Not somebody not just somebody in that <clears throat> place where these guys are but any anybody and you know we talk about different seasons of our lives that are formative yeah where you know you may talk about early childhood or then going into puberty or moving into college or then the professional world or early marriage or whatever but what you realize is all through life i mean myself included right now so i'm thinking about this season of grandparenting Mm. i've never been a grandparent before right but i'm spending a lot of time thinking about what kind of leg how am i going to intentionally love this next generation in a way that instills in them this what my hope will be a forever line of Campbell's who love Jesus and make their lives about him. So I could use a mentor in this season of life. Yeah. And it's just somebody who's done it and who's done it well, either have learned from their mistakes or have really succeeded in some areas. So I, I just would say in regard to mentoring, Everybody needs it in every season of life. I mean, my buddy and I, I think you mentioned you want to talk a little bit about it, just finished a book called Love Your Wife. Yeah. Well, how many of us are just knocking that out of the park 24-7? Right. You know, I'm pretty good at it some days, but not every day. Yeah. So who am I meeting with regularly who's challenging me to love my wife well? Mm-hmm. which also influences my kids and grandkids and you know so man i would say to anybody out there there's always everybody ought to have a paul in their life this is the tried christian way of saying it right yeah. this is you should have a paul a person who is more seasoned in the faith or 
experience and anything you're trying to improve in in life. But then you should also have a Timothy. You're further down the road than somebody. Right. If you're in high school, you've already been through the puberty thing. So take on that middle school punk, right? (laughs) Or fourth or fifth grader and take them to a burger once a month and love on them and tell them your experience. And we just all have something to give. So, uh, other than mentoring, if somebody, you know, maybe they have a heart or listening to this, they felt they might have a heart for the incarcerated, their families, um, in their local community, how, how would you suggest they, they get involved? What do they do? Yeah. So depending on your community and what exists for current, you know, jail or prison ministry, I I would reach out to the chaplain of a facility, Mm -hmm. either a jail or, or prison. And talk with them about some opportunities that may exist. A lot of places may have a mentoring program. Some may just have a chapel service. And this is the other cool thing. You may not be a preacher to come in and give a chapel service, but you could be a greeter and you could go in on Wednesday nights from 6 to 7.30 to do nothing but sit in the chapel service with 40 inmates who over a period of weeks, you're going to get to know their names and their stories and you can pray for them. And what you're communicating by being there is somebody believes in me. I'm not forgotten. Somebody actually chose to come into this prison tonight. And that's, isn't that what uh, Matthew 25 says? Mm -hmm. It doesn't say when I was in prison, you came in and shared the gospel and prayed with me and, delivered me from all my demonic activity it says when i was in prison you visited me yeah that was it you just came you were there showed up who can't do that yeah so so that's a good starting place part of men of valor's uh success and expansion over the years has not just been the involvement of individuals but you've you've had companies who will will hire a guy who's been in jail or prison uh, you you even have the government <laughs> giving you open doors to to go inside uh, different facilities. Um, so we talked about individuals getting involved in this problem of incarceration. Mm-hmm. If if someone's a businessman, if someone's a, an, a, a local official, what would you? What, how would you encourage them to to assist with this problem? Yeah, great question, John. If first of all, reentry is a community issue. Yeah, I mean, when you think about everything that has to happen <clears throat> in order for a man or woman coming out of incarceration to reassimilate successfully, it is a it is a community issue. It's going to yeah. require an employer, like you're talking about, a church yeah. who is willing to have somebody sitting in their pew who yeah. has a felony record, which you've got them already. You just probably right. don't know it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's going to take the government, the Board of Probation and Parole, to offer opportunities and yeah. all all that kind of stuff. So, um, I would just say this is a this is a growing issue that affects every segment of society. Yeah. And so, because of that, we all have a role to play and figure out based on your unique place in life how can you help be a bridge and not an obstacle yeah yeah that's great 
All right. So uh, you have another passion, which is your marriage. And uh, you mentioned the ministry, love your wife with your, with your buddy. Talk yeah. a little bit about that. What, how did it get started? What, what are you guys doing to, to reach people? You mentioned the book. Yeah. Talk about so, that. Well, I, God wired me as a romantic. It's just, it's kind of the way I think and kind of the natural outflow of my heart. And I was a rock star in the dating world uh, prior to marriage, as far as romance goes. And I just always thought I would be. So did my wife. <laughs> thought I'd always be this romantic guy. And I realized quickly in marriage, oh my gosh, it's easy for the day-to-day life of kids and jobs and upkeep a house and all that to just kind of quench the romance. Yeah. And you have to be really intentional about it. And so I've got a, a like-minded buddy, Lance Brown, and we've kind of competed for the last 30 years of really loving our wives well, being super intentional yeah. in our marriages. Um, because I always thought, man, if, if I'm a diehard romantic and I'm struggling, I'm thinking about a lot of my buddies who, you know, their idea of romance is uh, sex. Yeah. Um, not that sex can't be romantic, but it certainly <laughs> does not encapsulate all of it. Yeah. Uh, and so we just have, have committed to helping encourage guys basically to love their wives. Well, be intentional about it. Come up with just creative ways to, to communicate your love and affection for your wife. Continue to pursue her, you know, great verse, Ephesians five twenty five. husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church or yeah. loves you as a believer. And that never stops. His mercies are new every morning. He pursues me every day, whether I'm a jerk in rebellion, quiet and distant, engaged or not engaged. He is consistent. He is a constant in my life. And that's my model for marriage. And so it's, it's not a challenge I encourage guys to take on alone, which is why I think Lance and I have really spurred one another on. And so we want to do that for other guys. So we do that in a number of ways. It's, you know, conferences or opportunities to speak to guys when we can. We both are involved in men's ministry. Obviously, he has a uh, Vanderbilt University. He's basically the chaplain there. He's got a ministry called Who You With, works with a lot of young athletes and coaches. That's great. And uh, our hope is just to encourage more and more men in mm-hmm. small group settings and through social media, email, whatever, just to engage and love their wives well. And, and what's the title of the book? Title of the book is Love Your Wife, and uh-huh. it's by Kurt Campbell and Lance Brown, and it's uh, you can find it on Amazon or Barnes & Noble, Lifeway, right. all those. Okay. So where do you, where do you, what are the plans for Men of Valor? Do you guys, where do you see yourself expanding? Do you see yours? And one, one question I would have is, is I, don't, I, have, I haven't seen too many models of prison ministry that are better than Men of Valor. Are, are you talking to people in different states? Are there, are there prison chaplains that are frustrated that could, could use your, your way of doing things? What, what, what yeah. are you guys thinking about as far as expansion? Comes? Yeah, there is more and more of that, John. Um, we, we really have, have a great reputation in Nashville that has kind of seeped statewide now in Tennessee. Yeah. And we've had a great relationship with Core Civic since 2004, 2005. And they have obviously prisons nationwide. And so some of our programming is, 
is at least there virtually now and yeah. uh, some content. And, you know, we've just continued to say when God wants us to go, he'll provide and he'll make it clear. And he's done that in Knoxville. So we were there. That reentry facility will open uh, just in, in a month or two. Okay. And we are in conversations with other places, both in the state and out of the state, of people who would like for us to come and do what we do. But it, it, the prison piece is a no-brainer. That's yeah. easy to, yeah. to duplicate. It's the reentry piece that really takes an immense amount of time and energy and resources. And so, uh, and it's not for the faint of heart. <laughs> uh, yeah. But again, as God provides and opens those doors and the resources will, we want to, we want to have the greatest impact we can have. Great. So I'll post, uh, you know, links to the website, uh, your YouTube channel. There's a lot of great content on there. Um, but if someone wants to support men of valor, uh, what you're doing, how can they help? Yeah. Thank you. So well, I, and this is as truthful as I can be. We, one of our older staff members used to always say, Prayer is the currency in God's economy, mm. and uh, we really do believe that. So if, as God brings men of valor to mind or any prison ministries, if you would just pray that yeah. God would lead revival in the prison system, it uh, would be great. Um, there's v- lots of volunteer opportunities if you're in Tennessee or in the national area in particular that you wanted to engage specifically with men of valor. There's some volunteer opportunities. Okay, If you can't or don't have the inclination to do it personally, but you would be willing to support people who are doing it. You can support us financially with the majority of our support comes from individuals, some churches, uh, foundations, and a little bit of government stuff where it does not tie our hands in terms of mission, what we're trying to do spiritually. But uh, yeah, so there's, there's lots of ways to, To engage, but I I would encourage anybody just because it's one of the very clear commandments coming directly from Jesus, along with clothing the naked and feeding the hungry, uh, visiting those in prison, whether that looks like a letter at some point or just taking a tour of a facility just to do it, be obedient. And if God doesn't lead you in that manner, it's not for everybody and that's fine. And, and am I right that someone could even just call or email you guys for of course. Kind of advice and Absolutely. encouragement on what to do in their local community? Absolutely. We do uh, more and more of that. They're thrilled to do it. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Kurt. This has been such a blessing. I, I love your heart. I'm always, you always thank send you. life my way whenever, whenever I talk to you. So thank you. Man. Uh, it's good to see you is- and be with you again. I appreciate the invitation. Well, God bless. Thank you so much. Thank you, buddy. Are you energized? I definitely was after speaking with him. Kurt and those he works with are such an amazing example, giving people like you and me new reasons to get busy with serving as agents of God's restoration. If his words and story inspired you, check out their website or give them a call to see how you can offer hope to the incarcerated or to anyone who feels rejected or like an outcast in our hurting world. Remember, God doesn't usually expect someone to believe in Him until, through the example of people like you and me, 
someone first believes in them. Join me next time for a spiritual meditation based on part four from my book on how to find contentment in a world where nothing seems to make us happy. We'll see you then. This podcast is a production of Embrace What Matters Ministries. We encourage you to subscribe, rate and review, share, and please send us a comment or an email. To learn more about John, his devotional book, and other writings, please visit EmbraceWhatMatters.com.